Hi, I'm Karen Elliott, and you're listening to the District B-Sides Podcast, where you'll hear in-depth conversations with council, staff, and community members to take you behind the decisions that are being made on topics that matter to Squamish. Now let's tune in and join the conversation. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for tuning in. We are recording this podcast from the traditional unceded territory of the Squamish Nation. Most of the people listening to it will likely be on unceded Squamish Nation territory themselves. The focus of today's podcast is on parking and transportation in Squamish. Specifically, we'll be learning more about a project that UBC researchers did called Moving Beyond the Car. I'm joined today by Dave Merrow at the city and three senior planning students, Angela Chow, Fiona Ko, Jasmine Singara, and Selena Rulland. We're going to start off by introducing ourselves. So my name is Ian Pickett's. I'm the manager of sustainability and climate change at the District of Squamish. And my job is primarily focused on climate action. The biggest role that I have is implementing our community climate action plan, which is essentially a pathway to get us to 45% emissions reductions by 2030, which is a very, very ambitious target. So the community climate action plan or CCAP has six big moves. And because transportation is such a large proportion of our emissions, uh, two of our six big moves are focused specifically on transportation. So one of these is shift beyond the car, and the other is decarbonized transportation. I will now pass it over to Dave Merrill, who will introduce himself. Thanks, Ian. Hello, everyone. My name is Dave Merrill, and I'm the director of major projects at the district. Uh, my work at the district is focused primarily on larger development projects in Squamish, but I also have involvement in implementation of the district's parking strategy, previously working on a downtown parking utilization study, as well as a downtown parkade study, and I'm currently working on an updated parking utilization study and a paid parking implementation strategy. Hey everyone, I'm Fiona. I'm wrapping up my master's in planning, concentrating on urban design and transportation. I also have a master's of public health and health policy and promotion. Um, I've previously worked in public health in Alberta, and uh, I'm currently conducting research through the University of Alberta on the overlap between the built environment and physical and mental health outcomes, and relaying this research to designers, planners, uh, and city leaders to create healthier communities for everyone. Hi, everyone. I'm Jasmine. I've just wrapped up my master's in planning uh, with a focus in transportation and green network planning at UBC. I also hold an undergraduate degree in environmental sciences. Uh, my experiences both in school and through work have helped me hone a significant background in research, focusing on transportation planning, as well as public engagement. Um, most recently, uh, I had an internship where I worked as a Green City Scholar at the City of Vancouver to research lighting and intersectionality to improve comfort and safety on Vancouver's bike lanes. And as I wrapped up schoolwork, I'm now transitioning into a planning assistant role with the Planning and Development Department at City of Burnaby. Hi everyone, I'm Selena. I'm also finishing out my master's uh, and just started a new position with the City of Vancouver in their street use management uh, division. Um, and before starting my master's, I, I did work at the City of Surrey for two years, uh, both their bylaw and licensing uh, and their planning and development departments. And then uh, over the past year, I was working for Appen Martin Consultants, um, supporting land development projects. And I did my undergrad in human geography, which initially got me interested in planning. So a lot of my work over the past two years has been around planning for inclusive and accessible cities. Um, and I also want to give a shout out to Angela Chow. She was our fourth teammate. She couldn't make it today. Um, and Angela will be graduating this spring. 
she has a background in planning, consulting, uh, and public engagement, and used to work as a, an assistant planner in a Hong Kong-based firm. And her experience in uh, or with site analysis and design was extremely valuable for this project. Um, Help us create a Squamish-specific um, Squamish-specific recommendations. Excellent. Thanks, everyone. It's really interesting. I can really see how your various backgrounds fed into the project and helped it be so comprehensive and allowed you to look from a number of different perspectives. So that's that's really neat to hear more about your background. Also, congratulations to all of you for finishing up your degrees. Uh, not any of your first degrees, and that's uh, no small feat. So. Let's take a little bit of time for the audience to understand how this project was part of this your senior planning course and how you came to work with the District of Squamish on on this endeavor. Yeah, that's a great question, Ian. So as a second year planning students at UBC, one of our core courses included a year long planning studio that we've been, been engaged with as a professionally oriented course. Uh, the studio partners a group of students with community, municipal, and private sector organizations like the District of Squamish to identify problems and propose real solutions. So our team's partnership with the District of Squamish came about after we all expressed our level of interest for the different pro uh, problems presented by the partner organizations this year. We all individually selected the District of Squamish project as our first choice based on our interest in both transportation planning and climate action. However, at the time of selection, we weren't actually aware that it was the District of Squamish that we were choosing. Upon the reveal, however, we were all really excited to think about the mid-sized community and recreation economy-based context that we weren't very familiar with uh, from our personal or educational backgrounds. Great, thank you. And one, one small thing I'll mention right now, and it'll come up again, is how impressed we all were with the level of effort all the students took to get familiar with and really understand Squamish. Uh, they came up a number of times. I think the first time was in absolutely torrential rain and it was in the midst of COVID, so we couldn't even invite them inside. But uh, yeah, just a lot of effort to make uh, make yourselves aware of the community and really make your product uh, reflexive of it, all the way down to the color scheme. It's, it looks exactly like a District of Squamish document. So for the for from our end, we engage in this partnership uh, with the with the course, it's actually the second time we've done this, and for us, it's extremely fruitful because we get uh, a number of excellent uh, pro professionals and professionals in training to to help us work and explore uh, a different project. And I guess one thing to be really clear, and, and Dave, you might want to speak to this later as well, is these students um, were tasked with this project and they created this document, but it is not a District of Squamish plan or document, at least yet. It, it gets passed to us and then we take it to inform or uh, upgrade into policy, et cetera. So it's a really valuable exercise for us too, because we kind of get this arm, arm's length uh, arm's length piece of expertise and advice. And as we all know, sometimes we don't want to be told what to do, but sometimes it uh, sometimes it's very helpful seeing that maybe other communities are doing more or maybe other communities are doing something something differently. So it's an extremely valuable educational process uh, on all all levels. So I will uh, go back to the students again, and a big part of your intro to your work was about the cycle of car dependency. Could you please go into that in a little more depth? Yeah, for sure. So the cycle of car dependency is a model that we came across in Todd Littman's work. Um, 
He's the founder of Victoria Transport Policy Institute, which is an independent research organization focused on transportation. Um, and actually a lot of our project was informed by his uh, work. And so the cycle of car dependency is essentially a way to visualize how communities have been designed for and around cars, which has enabled this cycle where cars continue to like dominate as people's primary mode of transportation. And because cars allowed us to move further, uh, quicker um, than say walking, biking or rolling, um, we were able as planners to build more dispersed sprawling communities further away from like a central core or a downtown. And then as a result, our roads and street networks kind of began to prioritize this way of getting around, which reduced people's travel options. It stigmatized alternatives like public transit. Um, there was an increase in car, private car ownership, which led to more demand for, for parking and less space for pedestrians and cyclists. And so this cycle continued as transportation planning kind of continued to maintain or prioritize this form of mobility. And so part of our work of moving beyond the car is kind of proposing to break this cycle. And as we saw in a lot of our, of our research, that is the direction that transportation planning is going in, especially when it comes to tackling the climate crisis. And then in addition to this idea of you know, car dependency being a cycle, we also used uh, Matt Pinder's concept of the spectrum of car dependency, which acknowledges that no one community is built the same and that there isn't a universal reason why people choose to drive over other modes, um, but that car enabling infrastructure or the cycle of car dependency um, plays a large role in that. And so we define Squamish as kind of a car first community. So that's, you know, at the beginning of one side of the spectrum where um, it's not car only. So Driving is the most attractive option, but there are conscious efforts being made kind of to shift towards other modes. Um, and then ultimately at the other end of the spectrum, we have car-free or a car-free community, which is the direction our work is headed, but um, our recommendations in our report are more for what we'd call a car last community. So that's a bit right before becoming kind of car-free and that's where driving becomes the least attractive option for getting around, but that we do acknowledge, you know, space still needs to be made for cars in some form or another. Uh, especially from uh, an equity perspective. Great, thanks. One thing that comes to mind for me, I don't know if anyone else has read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy before, but there's this really cool scene at the beginning where they send an alien to Earth. And so they're looking at Earth and they decide to name the alien Ford Prefect because they assume that it's a, it's a planet, that the dominant life force was cars. Because based looking at it, you, if you don't think carefully, you're like, wait a minute, is this for people or is this for cars? It's a cool, slightly, slightly nerdy book, but <laughs> I, I love it. So uh, a big part of the your work, uh, you you underwent a very impressive literature review and looked at um, quite a large number of case studies from around the world. Can you let us know some examples of really like extreme or aggressive or creative parking management and strategies that you encountered in your literature review? Yeah, so we definitely took a look at a lot of case studies and unfortunately not a lot of them were super extreme because we wanted to look at things that were hopefully relevant to the Squamish context and could help us um, apply it to Squamish. But we definitely def found some interesting examples. Um, so one of the cases that we looked at was Zurich in Switzerland, where in 1996, the city capped the parking at 1990 levels. Um, and for so essentially for any new parking to be built, um, any on-street parking around any communal squares 
must be converted into parks or community spaces. So they made it a pretty harsh like one to one conversion. Um, and then outside of Europe, we saw that like Auckland in New Zealand and uh, San Francisco, California, they've applied demand based demand based price parking. So looking at where they are, it changes or where you're parking, it changes how much you're paying. So it's not exactly extreme, but it's really transitioning away um, from a traditional sense of paid parking into like a market based parking. Um, SF has also eliminated minimal commercial parking requirements downtown. And then looking at a Canadian context like Edmonton, Alberta, close by. They, we love our cars. Like I'm an Albertan, and uh, we love our cars. But we've eliminated parking minimums, and it sounds pretty drastic for a city that you know probably has two to three cars per household. So it's a really big for, uh, step forward for places like California and Alberta, who's renowned for knowing and loving cars. Um, and we saw that in these cases, uh, parking management is definitely one of the first and most important steps in getting to car last or car free. Fiona, do you mind just explaining what a parking minimum is? Oh, yes, of course. So when uh, de developers or uh, certain areas get <laughs> developed or have things happening on that lot, um, they usually have to provide a set number of parking spaces uh, just to fulfill that use on that lot. So every land use will have a certain number of parking spots that will have to be included um, in that development. So if it's like an apartment, they might have one uh, they might have a requirement of at least one to 1 1.5 spots per unit that they're building. And that adds to what Selena mentioned, which is the cycle of car dependency, like we're requiring people to create these spaces for cars. And that over inflates the space that's ne necessary for, for a car. And we keep going, oh, well, we have a parking spot, so I'm going to get a car and I'm going to put it there. So it perpetuates this toxic cycle. It's a toxic relationship with the car that we have to, we have to break up with the car. Thank you for that. So one of the things we were most impressed about with the, with your, the work that you created for us is that you came up with a really great uh, subsection of case studies that were very applicable to Squamish. So could you please go into a little bit more depth about those kind of finalist case studies or the ones that you selected that were most applicable to our community? Yeah, so I can start with um, Penticton. That one, I, um, you know, I'm from the Okanagan, so I, I, I kind of was familiar with the area. And so Penticton is a, it's a mid-sized community in the Okanagan region, well known for its agritourism, its outdoor recreation. And so in February, we, um, our team reached out to um, the city of Penticton and we uh, corresponded with the, the director of development services there who was able to provide some more insights into lessons learned from implementing paid parking in Penticton. And so similar to Squamish, Penticton historically had free on-street parking in its downtown. And for Penticton, their goal was to help entice more downtown shoppers due to smaller businesses downtown competing with the mall and big, big box stores that also offered free parking. And so the strategy ended up being difficult to administer because bylaw officers had to chalk tires. They had to monitor vehicles overstaying their two hour maximum time limit. Uh, and from the city's perspective, parking is a very valuable taxpayer owned asset. And so giving it away for free, whether it's downtown or elsewhere in Penticton, um, they didn't see that as a good management of that asset. So. As a result, uh, they adopted a parking plan in 2012, and in 2021, they expanded their existing paid parking program downtown. Um, 
And one important aspect of parking that was reiterated by Penticton is the need to really understand the true trade-offs of not charging for parking. So for example, Penticton estimated that um, paid parking when it's fully implemented just in its downtown is a, a $1 million a year revenue source, which roughly equates to you know, a 3% tax increase or um, a $1 million subsidy for downtown businesses. Um, so when we look at it from that perspective, charging people for the amount of parking they directly consume is a much more palatable and equitable strategy. Uh, and Pentington also highlighted the importance of being able to really use the revenue that you generate from parking to reinvest it back into the community. So for example, in Penticton, their paid parking program helps fund initiatives related to downtown safety and vibrancy. Yeah, we also reached out to Canmore in Alberta. Um, and as Albertan, I've gone there several times and loved it, but they definitely have been making a lot of changes. Um, and we wanted to tap into their information since they have a recreation uh, tourist space economy as well, just like Squamish. So in 2018, uh, Canmore had its integrated parking management plan and it found in that plan that finding space in the town center during peak periods was a, was a really big challenge. And there was a lot of heavy congestion during like tourist seasons and special events. Um, and they didn't really want to build a parkade to fix this demand. Or, and, and so they sought to um, have better management of existing facilities by incorporating a more holistic approach. Um, so as part of that plan, paid parking was approved uh, just in October 2021. And it's set to start in June 2022, so this coming summer. Um, this includes paid parking seven days a week in the town center and with rates that vary by peak or low seasons. And then free parking is actually still available outside the periphery of the town center um, with designated residential areas that are reserved for Canmore resident parking permit holders. So they're prioritizing the people who live there. And then uh, one of the most important things is that accessible stalls and loading zones remain free. Um, so in our discussion with Canmore's manager of the engineering department, they talked about how in addition to just having parking management, the town has also made like tremendous progress in implementing uh, fare free transit for everyone and adding more bike parking on the streets, um, creating complete street improvements. So looking at the street itself, holistically by adding more pedestrian space, green space, um, creating more spaces for people. And they also have several kilometers of new mixed use path and uh, bicycle pathways. And it's these combination of these tactics that have helped Canmore achieve the goals in their own community climate action plan. Um, and then just a little further from home, we also touched base with uh, Blue Mountains in New South Wales in Australia. Um, they were super keen to be involved and they were very fun to chat with. Um, and they also have an adventure based economy. So they noticed the difference, uh, sort of the competing difference in demand for parking between commuters and employees and visitors. And they have a current plan to transition from free parking to paid parking, specifically at tourist spots. So they noticed that a lot of tourists were coming in and using the area, but a lot of the residents were effectively paying for it because it was free. So this plan to uh, focus on or to introduce paid parking in what we are what they called uh, parking precincts, and they're focused around high visit areas. And in these precincts, uh, tourists can come and pay uh, using card at meter, so it saves them money on collecting coins and whatnot. But ultimately, this generates revenue uh, to reinvest 
back into active and public transport. And then they also had a very similar issue with Squamish where employees were parking right in front of the businesses and there was no parking for visitors. So they now, in part of this plan, encourages employees to pay to park in the center of this parking precinct or just park outside, which is like a five minute walk along a well-lit path to the center. Um, and then also residents have pay every two years for a resident permit to park on the street in resident areas. Uh, so they can either pay to park on the street or they can park in their own driveways or their own garages. Um, so in our discussion with their staff, they really emphasize how crucial it is to more effectively manage parking spaces, um, especially in meeting sustainability goals. Thank you so much. What really speaks to me is how all of these communities, it, it's not just, you can't just take something away. You can't just say you can't park here. It's really expensive. You have to accompany it with other viable and hopefully preferable and more convenient alternatives. Really appreciate you going over all of those. Dave, do you mind if I put you on the spot for a minute and give us a little bit of history and what we've done in Squamish related to a parkade? Yes, yeah, so in 2019, the district um, actually developed a downtown parkade study. And one of the goals of the district's parking strategy um, was to delay um, the construction of a parking structure for as long as possible. Um, so essentially, uh, the parkade study was undertaken to better understand the need for and logistics of constructing a future parking structure in the downtown core. Um, and one of the key outcomes of that study, in addition to sort of the technical details of, of you know, size and location and what have you, was to ensure that the district was collecting enough cash in lieu of parking funds from development of the downtown area. So essentially we we determined, you know, the the potential cost of, of this future structure um, and and changed our cash in lieu rates to appropriately collect funds to either fund a future parking structure or to allocate those funds for active transportation um, and TDM uh, infrastructure instead. So for the students, you 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 obviously compiled a, an impressive amount of information. How did you go about kind of evaluating the different strategies or determining which ones were best suited to Squamish or most likely to work in Squamish? Yeah, so we we combined our work from the case studies um, and our literature review, and we summarized the different transportation strategies into uh, best practice models, which those we then assessed using, um, we assessed them for their feasibility, so their applicability to Squamish. And our feasibility criteria, we were able to develop with the help of district staff, and this included, um, for example, regulatory feasibility. So what bylaws and policies already exist in Squamish that could support these models, um, socio-political feasibility, um, the level of acceptability of this type of model in say the social and political context of Squamish, um, and then also the technical or administrative feasibility. So is there institutional capacity? Are there resources to implement these models? And then through this assessment, we also considered if they aren't feasible right now under current conditions, um, like for example, increasing parking enforcement, then what would need to be introduced to make it feasible? So in this case, Squamish may need to hire more bylaw officers, for example. And then I think a big part of what helped inform this assessment was that preliminary research, our site visit, and then the continued conversations with district staff. Um, none of us students had been to Squamish before, uh, before our site visit in October. So 
um, being able to have these conversations and get a better understanding of the Squamish context is how we were able to kind of, um, you know, refine our criteria and how we assess these models. So in your research and, and learning about our community, what did you find were, were some of the things that made Squamish unique, either in a maybe in a challenging way or maybe presented extra opportunities? So I'll, I'll hand that to the students and then at the end, Dave, you're welcome to chime in as well. Yeah, so we, we found that Squamish is unique and that it's a mid-sized community with a heavy focus on adventure and recreational or recreation. It's also one of the fastest growing communities in BC but still doesn't have um, the same staff or financial resources as larger municipalities. And its location between Vancouver and Whistler makes it quite ideal uh, for both commuters and recreational enthusiasts. You essentially have both the nature and city life right at your fingertips. And so with these items in mind, we tried to look at case studies that sort of had similar economies or sizes because then they would be more applicable and effective in Squamish. Um, but what we found is ultimately nothing can really replicate Squamish, um, which is why we wanted to take sort of bits and pieces from a number of different locations um, and put together a series of recommendations and strategies tailored uh, specifically for Squamish. Yeah, one thing I, I was so impressed in Pressed with in your work is that how you went all the way to the Blue Mountains in Australia, and I was I was really notable to me how similar that town was to to Squamish, with the you know about an hour away from a larger center, a large number of people traveling in and out of a central core. That was really impressive to me. So in your report, you mentioned a number of strategies that Squamish can take to move from a car first more toward a car last community or one where people are more inclined to choose other modes of transportation before getting in their own automobile. So you've touched on this in some of the case studies, but could you go into a little more, more detail about what are the other things that we can do along with parking to help kind of encourage this transition? Yeah, this was really important for us throughout the project. We wanted our recommendations to be able to accomplish both small and big wins so that Squamish can make this gradual move away from being car only or car first. Um, so one thing we looked at was the promotion of transit. Right now, Squamish Transit is free for 12 and under, and also um, on summer weekends for all riders. So one of our recommendations was expanding this to 18 and under, uh, because research supports that just being exposed to transit uh, early on can lead to uh, a car last lifestyle, because they're so used to taking transit. And uh, this has been successful in cities like Victoria and BC. Another thing was to promote like active transportation. Um, so we recommended building out a bike network. And this is kind of in line with what Squamish already has in mind, but we wanted to visualize that and put an emphasis on having this in the downtown core. So we specifically looked at uh, Loggers Lane. We wanted to remove parking to allow for wider sidewalks. And this is better for people in wheelchairs or people who have to use strollers or push strollers around. Um, and as an active transportation corridor, this would mean having a bike lane, more lighting in the area, because right now it's pretty dark, um, some bioswales in next to the sidewalks to absorb excess rainwater. So it helps with the climate change uh, or climate crisis. And adding bike racks for bike parking so that people can actually go there and maybe park their bike and walk the waterfront and hang out. Um, another one of our recommend recommendations was to close Victoria Street between Cleveland and Loggers Lane to private vehicle traffic. So this sounds like a pretty big deal, but it's really only one block and it's uh, meant to prioritize the pedestrian. 
And we saw that this could be easily done because some parts of that road are already closed for the farmers market in Squamish. And if we close it, it would only take away six parking spots. So it's not like a huge loss for cars. They can just park a little bit further. Um, but with this closure, there could be th like things like tables and chairs or buskers and more activity in that space so people can just relax uh, before and after going to the farmer's market. Yeah, I was just thinking about how well that space would could complement the farmer's market event and make it even feel like more like kind of a festival and enable people to to move freely and to, and to interact. Are you able to go into a bit more detail about how your study incorporated or interacted with accessibility? When you start looking at designing your communities for pedestrians rather than cars, we're simultaneously designing with accessibility in mind. Um, so as Fiona mentioned about our design recommendations, for example, designing water sidewalks, improving lighting and sidewalk conditions, um, adding green buffers between pedestrians and other road users. Uh, the intention is to prioritize the safety and access for people rather than continuing to accommodate cars. Um, but at the same time, in places where Squamish, where um, cars still dominate, we do understand that driving will maybe still remain the most efficient option for some people with mobility restrictions, um, which is why our approach to moving beyond the cars and just proposing to remove cars altogether. But because we understand there's you know equity implications to doing that, but with time, as public transit becomes more frequent and efficient, there's alternate options for everyone to get around, regardless of their age or their ability or their income. Then we see cars as becoming, you know, the least attractive option for getting around. So, Dave, you've been working on this file for a number of years now in Squamish. Can you just take a minute or two and let the audience know what we at the district are up to right now regarding parking? Uh, previous studies that have been undertaken or studies that are underway? Um, we're, we're actually currently just kicking off a new downtown parking utilization and paid parking implementation strategy project. Um, this work is going to build upon a previous parking utiliz utilization study that was completed in 2017. Um, the key goals that we're trying to get out of this project are to provide us with obviously updated parking utilization data, which will help us understand current parking supply and demand, um, and also to develop a strategy to help the district move toward implementation of paid parking, uh, both within the downtown core um, and also areas beyond. Um, bringing paid parking to Squamish was a recommendation of the 2017 parking utilization study. And of course, is also a recommendation of the Move Beyond the Car project. So we're very much looking forward to uh, seeing the outcomes of this project. Um, we're also very excited to actually have the district's consulting team use these students' excellent work uh, as a reference for the study. Thanks, Dave. As we wrap up, I think one uh, something that would be really kind of fun to do is why don't we have one final go around, and I'd like each of you to share something you really appreciate about a community that where where cars are not the only or not the most preferred option so you know there's a whole host of benefits we've gone over a lot of them but you know what do you like about communities that aren't oriented to the car maybe i'll put you on the spot first fiona and then selena and jasmine yeah sounds good um so i'm all about healthy communities and how planning and different things in the built environment can impact your health um so we know that emissions from cars and vehicles are bad for the environment. We know that from day one. It 
completely detriments our air quality. Um, but when you think about it from another perspective is that the amount of sitting that people are doing while driving compounded with the amount of sitting that you do in general is really detrimental to your physical health. Um, not to mention dealing with traffic and just sitting in traffic is really bad for your mental health because you're always feeling like you're stuck and you're not moving and that adds to the air quality. So it's another toxic cycle. Um, in the literature, there's just overwhelming evidence that active travel like walking and cycling uh, any movement is really good for your physical and mental health, like you're out and about, you're in green spaces, you're checking things out, storefronts, etc. Um, so yeah, just this huge health implication of getting people out from sitting and, and moving uh, via their like rolling, walking or cycling. And ultimately, I just want to say that cars aren't evil, <laughs> like they're necessary for longer trips. There's so many things that Selena touched on that are like about equity, but it'd be nice if these smaller everyday little trips like to and from a store from your house or something or to see your friends nearby can be done without a car. And then I guess for me, from the like social planning side, um, just the idea of giving the street back to the pedestrians and designing spaces that are safe um, for everyone and um, for people to interact, uh, come together, um, especially, you know, in a post-COVID context, um, helping foster, you know, social cohesion and, and community. Yeah, and, and then I guess for me, having a sort of environmental background um, from a sort of climate action perspective, I think communities that are not car first have the benefit of sort of prioritizing the future of current generations and the many generations to come as cars are, are sort of major cause of global warming. And also just jumping off of kind of what Fiona was mentioning with regards to air quality as well. Cars emit um, a lot of really harmful air pollutants and that has huge health implications. So just thinking about how um, communities that are, are not car first and, and sort of um, the way they can prioritize their residents. And if I can jump in as well, Ian, um, I have to echo all of the excellent points that the students have raised. I think for me, you know, envisioning in particular a downtown core where, you know, um, vehicles are secondary and or, you know, potentially not even there is just it really creates an inviting and safe space for people. And um, one of the students mentioned social interactions. And I think that's, you know, to add vibrancy to the downtown area, having a, a pedestrian or, or bike oriented um, street network, uh, I think that would really bring some positive change and, and positive, um, positive attitudes for all the residents downtown and visitors. Great points. One final thing I'll throw in is a huge thing for, for me that I think a lot of people aren't aware about is money and cost. The cost of owning a car is huge between fuel, purchasing the vehicle, parking the vehicle, um, insurance. The, the amount of money we spend more on our cars in Canada than we do on food. It's our second biggest expenditure, only secondary to, uh, to housing. So people who can live their lives with one car as a family or, or not even have a car are going to have a whole lot of extra money to uh, to enjoy themselves with. So yeah, I think that's one benefit that some people aren't aware of. So I think with that, we'll we'll wrap it up. Just want to take one last moment to, to thank these four students for their absolutely outstanding work for the District of Squamish. We can't thank you enough. You've gone so far above and beyond the 
what's been what's been required of you and that you've created extremely valuable asset for us that we're going to be using for for years so thank you so much thank you so much for having us 